Well, it's good to be here in God's house this morning at Porchlight Baptist Church. Glad to have those that are here and those that are watching online. And uh, you pray for us this morning as we continue through our sermon series, Rooting Through Romans. We're going to be in part number 46 today. And we're in Romans chapter 14. And Lord willing, we're going to look at the first six verses today and uh, see what the Lord has to say about doubtful disputations. We're going to be looking at a few things here about things that maybe church members might dispute about. And also, uh, we're going to look deeply into the Sabbath day and why we worship on Sunday. And so those two things we're going to be speaking of this morning as we go through this text. Romans chapter 14, starting with verse 1. And here the Bible says, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things. Another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God has received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own mastery standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up. For God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he, he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reading of your word this morning. Uh, we need your help today, Lord, more than ever, to be able to expound upon this text and Lord, to glorify you in your holy name, keep us out of the way. May you be seen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, here in chapter 14, we continue with Paul speaking about our actions toward other people. Uh, more specifically, our actions toward fellow church members. And that is who he's speaking of here when he talks about those in the faith. Uh, only those in the faith would be considered a church member. Someone that's saved. So he's not speaking about unsaved people here and saved. He's speaking of all saved people, those in the faith. But we do see there are a there's a difference between the two different uh, those of faith he's speaking of. First, we have uh, probably the Jews that used to be Jews that now were Christians, but yet had not been able to accept their new. Um, a freedom that they that is in Christ, and so they were still clinging to their old ways, their observance of the holy days and holidays and feasts and abstaining from the different uh, meats and things like that. Still holding on to Judaism, uh, yet they are a Christian. They're in the faith, but here is he's speaking of those that are weak in the faith. Now that doesn't mean they have a weak faith in God that you know not enough, hardly to even save them. That's not what it means. It means that they've not quite um, uh, found the the uh, like I was saying the freedom that we find in Christ, and so they're really little babes on the milk, as Paul refers to them in other places in the Bible. And so there's that group of people who would be considered weak in the faith because they've not yet found their freedom in Christ, and they're still clinging to their old ways. And then there's the Gentiles who used to practice idolatry maybe offering up sacrifices and things with animals. 
And so they may be in this faith now of Christianity and thinking that because they used to sacrifice animals and things like that, that they should abstain from eating any kind of animal that's been sacrificed and, and so on and so forth. So these would be two groups of people that would be considered those weak in the faith. Now, those that are not weak in the faith would be those that have accepted their freedom in Christ, those that have grown and, and more on the meat, and they understand the grace of God and what Jesus has done and how he sacrificed himself for us and that he fulfilled the law that we don't have to follow the law anymore. And so that's the, if you keep that in your mind, those weak in the faith are probably clinging to old practices and those that are strong in the faith are, are now walking in the New Testament way of Christianity. And so individuals in these groups of those weak in the faith, they have not fully accepted or embraced their freedom in Christ. And, uh, you know, and it, and it would come up with different issues. For example, there was issues in which foods they could eat or, or couldn't eat. Uh, what they're supposed to wear, the dress that they wear, which days they would observe as holy days, or as we call them today, holidays. Uh, the Jews, you know, kept many, many feast feast days and considered holy days. And so there was always a dispute between those that wanted to hold on to those traditions and the old Judaism way, and those that are now walking in the Christ way, in the New Testament way, in the, in the new covenant, and so there were they would what Paul calls doubtful disputations. So he says, you know, receive those that are weak in the faith. In other words, don't keep them out of the church. You know, you have a fellow brother or sister in Christ that that don't quite understand, you know, the freedoms they have in Christ, and maybe they're they think that they need to act or observe or, or dress or appear a certain way to be a Christian. Don't push them out of the church. Receive them, the Bible says. But don't receive them and then have these doubtful disputations. You know, don't lord it over them. Don't make them feel like they're not worthy or that they're not really a strong Christian. You don't treat them that way. And we're going to look as we go through here that there's uh, certain ways that both these groups treat each other. And that's what causes the disputations. Uh, and that's that just simply means disputes is what that means. Disputes among each other. Now, there's a lot of disputes that happen in churches. Well, I've been in churches all my life. I'm 54 years old, 55 years old. I'm sorry. I'm a, I saw today somebody, I believe it was Brother Tom Hatley over at, uh, in Maryville, his church, and he was talking about... Uh, senior day and he said 55 and over and i thought my goodness am i really a senior i always thought those were old people uh, i see some of my classmates from when i graduated and and they look old and i think good night there's no way i look like that <laughs> but uh anyway um these disputes that would happen uh among these people this was causing problems in the church and so paul had to address this and uh, so, uh, verse 2, he says, For one believeth that he may eat all things. Another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth, eateth despise him that eateth not. And let, him, let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God has received him. 
So here's he starts listing off some of these things, and one of them in 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 particular is about eating. Now the Jews have strict dietary laws, and naturally, if they've been that way all their life, you take somebody that's you know, like I was saying, I've been in church all this time. I, I got off that subject, didn't I? I started talking about some disputes in church. Uh, over 55 years of being in Baptist churches, uh, I have seen a lot of disputes. I've been having to stuck right in the middle of some of them. Uh, the last one we were in was several years ago, and I said right then, I will never, ever be involved in anything like that again if I see something like that happening, I will leave. I will get up and walk out. I'm not going to dispute inside of a church and argue. Uh, I've seen way too much of that. And so there's no need for disputes among uh, the members, the congregation. But all these things were, were a problem, obviously, in Paul's day because of those in the new faith and uh, you know, trying to get out of that old way of thinking. And so we list off this dispute they were having over what they could or could not eat. And Paul says there's some there that, that will eat anything because they know that it's lawful now. Since Christ fulfilled the law and we're not bound under any of those, those dietary restrictions that the Jews had, then you can eat anything. You remember when Peter was up there and that, the Lord lowered that basket full of all those animals and he told him to eat. And he said, not so, no, no way, Lord, I'm not going to do that. Well, it's legal. Uh, it's okay to eat whatever because the Lord fulfilled that law. And so, but you had those that were what Paul calls weak in the faith that were still wanting to hold to those dietary restrictions. And so they wouldn't eat meat. They instead, they ate herbs. And Paul says, look, some of you here in this church is going to eat herbs because they think that's what they ought to do. Some of you here know you can eat anything you want. Well, don't fuss and argue about it. If they want to eat herbs, let them eat herbs. If you want to eat meat, eat meat and don't, don't argue over it. There's no sense to have some kind of dispute over something like that because it's not sinful. And, and here, this is the, the whole thing of it. What these uh, disputes are that's happening, they're not over sinful things. It's not because this group over here is sinning and, you know, we're disputing about it. That's, that's okay if you want to, uh, you know, argue about that that you know that's wrong and prove it to them from god's word that's one thing but these are not sinful activities they're doing this eating one thing or not eating another and so it's silly to dispute over it what does it matter it doesn't matter at all and so it'd be very easy for those you know um and tempting for those that were stronger in the faith to look at them that's only eating the herbs and say look at those Babes in Christ, looking still clinging to their old eating habits. You know, they need to get with it and just have an argument. And it'd be easy also for those still eating those things, the herbs and, and not the meat, to look at those that are eating whatever and say, my goodness, I can't believe they're eating that. They ought to know better than that. We were raised better than that, you know, all this. And so it would cause pride on both parts. And so this kind of thing is really a little unknown to us because we're not Jews, we're Gentiles, and we've never been brought up under the Jewish religion or practicing Judaism. I don't know anything about that except for what I've studied and everything, but personally, I've never had to adhere to any of those Jewish laws and, and restrictions. So I don't quite understand some of their thoughts, but that don't mean it doesn't happen in our churches today over other things. You know, it could be a simple matter of 
of, of what um, songbook you use in the church, you know? Uh, we, we've got, what, four different hymn books that we use in our services. Uh, the old Redback Church hymnal, we love that book. That's the one I've always had on my life. And there's some people that will just get all bent out of shape if they walk in a church and see that old Redback Church hymnal. I mean, they just can't stand it. And so there could be disputes over that. I was in a church. I, well, I belonged to a church when I was a, a, a child that had a dispute over that songbook. And it was ridiculous. It was caused a split in the church. And uh, So there's silly little things like that that the Bible does not even mention that there is no need to be disputing with fellow church members over which songbook you use or, or uh, you know, the color of the carpet. That church had red carpet. I can't believe that. That looks so disgusting. The churches ought to have brown carpet or churches ought to have a neutral color. and It can be anything silly. But let's take, for example, we are an independent Baptist church. We don't believe that a church ought to be part of a convention of any type that rules or gives any kind of laws or anything bound upon the church. We don't believe that that's the way that God intends for a church to operate under the guise of some corporation or convention or whatever it's want to be called. Now, I grew up in Southern Baptist churches, which is part of the Southern Baptist Convention. You've got different divisions. You've got the Midland Baptist, which we were in, in, in a former church, and you've got the, uh, what, the Knox County Baptist, and you've got, I don't remember what all, but there's different divisions within the Southern Baptist Convention. All right, now we're independent. What that means is we believe that the church should be governed only by the Lord and by the local body. No outside convention telling us what to do or which book to use or hymn book or Bible or, or anything like that or our mission giving. We believe we want to give to the missionaries that we want to support, those independent Baptist missionaries. We don't want to give into a general fund, the Southern Baptist Convention, and sends it out to all these crazy missionaries that I don't know anything about. And so we believe we should be independent. Well, there is a lot of good people in the Southern Baptist Convention, a lot of good Southern Baptist churches in this area. Fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. They're not lost because they're in the Southern Baptist Convention. They're saved just like we are. They've got a little different idea or thoughts about it. It doesn't bother them to be in the convention. The Bible doesn't even bring that up. So what does it matter to us? Why would we dispute about it? You know, we can argue back and forth and say, oh, they're sinful for being in that convention. And I've heard preachers saying that. Now, my conscience won't allow me anymore to to be a member of a Southern Baptist church. Uh, some people, that doesn't bother them, but it bothers me. But it doesn't mean that I'm going to reject someone of, that's in the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, it doesn't mean that I'm going to push them out, and there's no need for me to dispute about it. You know, if they want, if they want to be in the convention, that's fine. If they don't want to be, that's fine too. I'm going to be independent, but I'm not going to argue about it. Now, we have certain standards we adhere to, being independent Baptists. We believe in certain things, the King James Bible being one of them. We, we believe that's the only Bible needed for English-speaking people. Now, do I think all these, these other Bibles are sinful? 
I, I don't know about sinful. I believe they're filled with error. And I don't believe that you should use them because you can be misled. Uh, there's things left out. Some of them are pushing agendas. So I do believe that that hinges upon being sinful. Uh, however, I'm not going to fuss and fight with somebody if they came into this church and they're using a different version of the Bible. Uh, I will tell them we believe in the King James Version only, and that's the only Bible we're going to use, the only one I'll be preaching from and teaching from, and we would not allow that person to to uh, uh, read Bible verses out loud from a different version or anything like that. We would not allow that to happen. But I'm not going to fuss and fight and argue and all this stuff. Uh, there's other things. you know. We believe that there should be certain standards. But we're not going to force somebody to look like us and dress like us and cut our hair the same way and all that. So these little arguments that, that go back and forth really... Uh, what they turn into is preferences. A lot of church disputes and arguments are over preferences. And it shouldn't be that way. You know, we need to not have doubtful disputations. You know, there'll be some people believe one way and some people believe another. But, you know, ultimately, we all believe in the Lord Jesus. We're saved. Uh, we're just not all on the same quite field. I don't know how to how to say it, but... Um, the fact is, these arguments are not arguments over sin or sinful situations. Uh, it's preferences. Now, we need to make sure that what we're having disputes over is not something that uh, the Lord has not said anything about. If the Lord says something about it, calls it out as sinful, then we can, we can have a, 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 dis, a dispute over it. I'm not saying a knockdown, dragout fight. I used to work for a church as the custodian. It's a great big church here in Knoxville. Lots of lots of members. And uh, some of the things I heard go on in that church, it's, uh, it was unreal. I heard the deacons plotting against the pastor and how they're going to get rid of him. Uh, I heard a pastor that they, they hired to come in brand new the first week, came in, was cussing right in front of me when I was cleaning. Um Lots of awful things go on in churches behind closed doors. Uh, when the preacher's not in front of the, the congregation or in the pulpit, uh, lots of things go on. So uh, be very careful. Uh, but if it's something that the Lord has said is wrong and sinful, then we can have a talk about it. Now, Paul obviously confronted this kind of thing everywhere he went because of the you know, the Judaism of that day and in the Christianity, those being converted into Christians. And so listen to what he wrote to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4. He says, As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. How be it? There is not in every man that knowledge. For some, with conscience of the idol unto this hour, eat it as a thing offered unto an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. 
But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which has knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? And when you sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. So what Paul is saying there, look, I, I understand you have this liberty in Christ. You can eat those things that's been offered up to idols. It, it doesn't mean anything. doesn't make you a better Christian. doesn't make you a worse Christian either way. But if there is a fellow brother or sister in Christ that this offends and it's causing to be a stumbling block to them, then by all means, don't do it in front of them. Don't gloat about it. Don't come up and brag about your eating meat that was idols because you've got liberty in Christ. He says, if if I'm going to offend my brother, I'll go for the rest of my life without eating any meat, if that's what it means. And so, as we know, the Jews were strictly forbidden to eat some, some meats, uh, especially those that had been offered up to idols. <laughs> and they would stay as far away from that as possible. But those Christians that understood the grace and the liberties that Christ gave, they found nothing wrong with eating that. But Paul says, don't, don't be a stumbling block to those that's weaker in the faith. Now, the fact is, With the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, he fulfilled all the laws, all the Jewish customs and laws and everything that was in place and did away with this having to abstain from different meats and things considered unclean or forbidden in Judaism. Uh, Jesus said this, in fact, in Matthew 5, 17. He said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to to destroy, but to fulfill. And so when he hung on that cross at Calvary and sacrificed himself, he became the final sacrifice for all sin, for all ages, past, uh, present, and future. And so there's no more keeping those laws that those Jews used to have to keep. Jesus says he fulfilled all the law. And so it was very difficult for those that lived under Judaism to break the hold that it had over them. All right, let's go back to our text in uh, Romans 14. Look at verse 4. And Paul asks this question. He said, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holding up, for God is able to make him stand. So Paul just gives this blunt question here. Who Who do you think you are? Who gave you the right to judge your brother over what he eats or what he don't eat? Or what day he observes or doesn't observe. And so he says, look, he doesn't belong to you. He belongs to his master, who is God. God's the master over those that are saved. God will be the one that will pass judgment on them if there's going to be any judgment passed. And so it's not your place to do that. Boy, what a big kick in the pants that was for some people. It says, to his own mastery standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holding up, for God is able to make him stand. A Christian is a servant to God, not man. And so God is the master, and he and he alone has the right to sit in judgment of us. And therefore, if someone is in the wrong, God will correct them. It's not your place. All right, verse 5. 
One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth of the Lord, but he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. So now he brings up another subject that was always being disputed, and that was the observance of holy days, um, worship days, uh, days to observe as holy. Now this could be holidays, feast days, worship days, you name it. There was a lot of days the Jews used to have to follow. And so as New Testament Christians, I guess we esteem Sunday above all other days. We know that that was the day the Lord arose from the dead on. And so we worship on Sundays. We call that the Lord's Day. Now I want to make something very clear here. Sunday did not replace the Sabbath. There's a lot of people say, you know, oh, well, we don't worship on the Sabbath now. We, Since we're Christians, we observe the Sabbath on Sunday. No, that's not true. The Sabbath is the seventh day is what that is. That's what that means. Sunday is never the seventh day. It's the first day. It always is. It doesn't matter if you're Jew, Gentile, um, Chinese, Japanese, you name it. The first day of the week is always Sunday. And so the Sabbath is never on Sunday. It's, it's always a Saturday. It's the seventh day of the week. And so as, but as I was saying, as New Testament Christians, we seem to esteem Sundays higher than the other days. Uh, we believe since the Lord rose on that day, we will worship him on that day. And so we set Sunday aside for worship. Now, some people, um, such as ourselves, we don't, we don't do manual labor on Sundays, uh, simply because it, it doesn't feel right. Uh, we were raised not to do that. Um, the Bible doesn't specifically forbid you to work on a Sunday. And since Sunday is not a replacement for the Sabbath, then the Sabbath law that the Jews had doesn't apply to that. However, it is our preference not to do manual labor on Sunday unless it's just necessary. Uh, some people were raised up not to buy and sell on Sunday. Now, used to, uh, you couldn't buy or sell on Sunday hardly at all because nothing was open. And it's not been all that long, what, 25, 30 years ago maybe? I remember one time my wife and I were out driving around, and we'd gotten way up in the country. We went all the way to Sneedville, and our car was running low on gas. And there was nothing open. It was Sunday. <laughs> And, you know, we were afraid we weren't going to make it home. We, we made it home, but uh, it was, you know, strange. But nothing was open back then. And then suddenly, things changed. Stores started staying open. Walmart staying open 24-7. Uh, then, you know, you had the Kroger. I believe Kroger was might, might be the first store that was ever open all night here in Knoxville and on Sundays. But things started opening up on Sundays. And now it's just an everyday thing. Sunday has become almost like Saturday. Now, when observing Saturdays and Sundays as a weekend in the workplace, Saturday was still set aside to be a day of rest. That's what the Sabbath is. It means is a day of rest. That's observing the Sabbath. 
And so originally the work day was split up. You work five days and you were off too. The Saturday was for a day of rest is what that was. And you go and do whatever, you know, leisure activities and all that. And then Sundays we would worship because it was Lord's Day. And so that's how it originally began for the workplace. But nowadays, every day is almost the same to most people. And one day doesn't mean anything else unless certain things only happen on Saturday. Maybe NASCAR races or football or something like that. Football on Sundays and things. But what I'm trying to say here, the Sabbath is Saturday because Saturday is the seventh day of the week. And there'll be some groups like the Seventh-day Adventists. And there's even a group of Baptists that are Seventh-day Baptists that worship on Saturday only. And so they look at us and they say that we're being sinful because we're not observing the Sabbath. Well, there's some problems with this way of thinking. Now, I'm going to say some things that may shock some people because they probably never heard it. Nowhere in the New Testament will you ever find a commandment for us to worship or hold church services on a Saturday, on the Sabbath. Never, ever, it's not in there. Let me go a little further. In the Old Testament, Gentiles were never commanded to observe the Sabbath. Never. That was a Jewish thing only. That was the only, it was only for Jews. And it wasn't a day of worship. It was a day to cease from labor is what the Sabbath was for. And so in the Old Testament, no commandment to worship or observe the Sabbath in a congregational setting. And uh, in, listen to what the book of Genesis says. And that's just where it all begins. In the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verses 1 and 3, the Bible says, Thus the heavens and earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. God did not rest because he was worn out and tired. What that means, where it says God rested, means he ceased labor. He stopped laboring and rested from labor. Nowhere in that do you find a command for man to congregate together to worship on the Sabbath. It's not there. It does not say that. We are only told God rested on the seventh day, blessed it, and sanctified it. Now, this is something else may surprise you. From that point on, all the way up until Moses, 2,500 years later, there's nothing in the Bible talking about man going and worshiping on the Sabbath. It doesn't even talk about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. It doesn't talk about them going and doing any kind of worship on the Sabbath. It's not there. It wasn't until God gave the law to Moses that the Jews, which at the time were Hebrews or Israelites, it wasn't called Jews uh, quite yet. Israelites were under the law, the commandment from God, to observe the Sabbath day to cease from labor. The Sabbath was a day set aside for rest and remembrance what God had done. To remember that God created this world, that God gave you everything. Therefore, you got your food gathered up You know, before that happened, before the Sabbath. You did no labor or no any work on the Sabbath. But there was not a command for them to go together and worship on that day. It's not in there. 
Exodus chapter 20, this is from the Ten Commandments, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, it says to keep it holy. What does that mean? Does it mean to go and worship on that day? Could. Does it mean to uh, only think of God all day long and nothing else? Could. Uh, to keep it holy means you wouldn't, certainly you wouldn't go out and do anything sinful on that day if you keep it holy. So the interpretation around keeping the Sabbath holy, it, it's not really pinpointed out exactly what you are to do to make sure you keep it holy. Now, there's some things that's listed. It says, for example, in verse 9, Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor the stranger that is within the gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Okay, so there's nothing in there that talked about getting together and worshiping on that day. He doesn't say, come into my temple on the Sabbath, come into my sanctuary on the Sabbath, gather together on the Sabbath and worship. No, he says, rest. Don't do any labor. Your son's not, your daughter's not, servant's not, cow's not, nothing's doing labor. You're resting because of what God did, and you're remembering that. Now, it would be sinful for some of them to gather together and worship because they'd be breaking certain laws. Now, later on, when the Pharisees came around, this is several thousand years later, when the Pharisees came around, they added on extra laws to God's law. And so you couldn't go but a certain distance from your home on the Sabbath day. So they'd be breaking the law if they went to worship on the Sabbath. So they were they was not doing that. As I said a while ago, Sunday is not a replacement for the Sabbath. It is not a replacement. Too many people have that thought in their mind. They've been taught that, I believe, as children. Say, oh, well, yeah, we don't worship on Sabbath. We're not Jews. Our Sabbath is Sunday. No, it's not. It's not a replacement for the Sabbath day. Now, in the New Testament, we're given one example of a day that the church met on. It says in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, <clears throat> And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow and continue his speech until midnight. As I said, the first day of the week is Sunday. It doesn't matter what, where you're at in the world, it's Sunday. This one example the Bible gives us of the church coming together on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. Therefore, we have set aside Sunday to be the day of the Lord that we worship on. We don't call it Sunday Sabbath. We don't call it, we're, the, today is the Sabbath day. We call it the Lord's day, Sunday. Now, early on in the early church, in the book of Acts, you'll find the church came together daily, breaking bread and uh, having all things in common and, and going from house to house and all that. But... For a corporate church service, this is the only example that we find of a day mentioned when they came together to worship and Paul preached. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. Colossians 2, 16 through 17. He says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the 
Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. See that? Paul said, don't let anybody judge you on which day you're going to observe as a holy day, or even the Sabbath days. Now, I know the Jews had other Sabbath days besides what we consider the seventh day of the uh, of the week. You know, they had special Sabbaths and things like that. However, Paul says, don't let anybody judge you on that because those were all shadows of what was to come in Christ. Once Christ came and hung on the cross and died for our sins, he fulfilled all that. So no man can judge you over that. If you want to worship on Saturday, do it. If you want to do it on Sunday, do it. If you want to do it on Monday, do it. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It doesn't matter. Don't let anybody judge you on which day you worship on. It has nothing to do with it. All right. So Paul clearly says that holidays, Sabbath days are a shadow of things to come. Remember what we said that Christ said? He said, Matthew 5, 17, Think not that I am come to, to destroy the law, or the prophets I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Now I'm going to give you one last passage here of Scripture. And this is something else Jesus said, Jesus himself, concerning the Sabbath. Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. The Bible says, And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day. And his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? And he said unto them, Have you never read what David did? When he had need and was hungered, he and they that were with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abathar, the high priest, and did eat of the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priest, and gave also to them which were with him. And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is the Lord also of the Sabbath. Wow. So the Sabbath was made, what did the Bible say? For man. It was made for to give us rest. Now, what you've got to understand, you've got to look at this with spiritual eyes. There is another meaning behind this. The meaning is, if you look at it spiritually, that rest means rest in Christ. No more labor under sin. The bondage of sin and what it causes once we've received Christ, we have rest in Christ. We are in him and he's in us. And therefore, he says, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. So he is our Lord. We have our rest in him. Are we to observe the Sabbath? Nowhere are we commanded to do that. We're not. Is Sunday a replacement for the Sabbath? Absolutely not. It's the Lord's Day. It's the day that New Testament Christians have set aside to worship the Lord on. Does the Bible command us of a certain day we're supposed to worship? It does not at all. Is it wrong to, to observe uh, Resurrection Sunday or Easter as it's called? Um, certainly not. Nothing wrong with it. Yet there'll be churches that'll fuss and fight and dispute and go on. Do you know there's Baptist churches today that are shunning Christmas? That was a Roman Catholic holiday. <laughs> And so they 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 say that uh, some places are sinful because they observe Christmas. 
you know, I don't know anything about the Roman Catholic. And when they created that, I, I wasn't part of that. That's not why I observe Christmas. I observe Christmas to remember the birth of Christ. It's got nothing to do with Roman Catholics. If they start, they started the holiday. Apparently, through history, you can read about it. Doesn't matter to me. I'm not to be judged over which day that I observe, on the Sabbath or holy days, holidays, or whatever it may be. Listen, the truth is, we have rest in Christ. That's where we need to put our focus upon. So, doubtful disputations among church members, arguing, fussing, fighting over things that are not even sinful, preferences. And breaking up churches over preferences, this is all that is sinful activity. So we need to do what the Bible says. We need to accept those that may not have the same quiet thoughts that we have on something. Now, if it's if it's doctrinal and they've got a difference in doctrine and they try to push that on, on the church and make us accept their doctrine, that's wrong. But simple things like that and preferences. You know, if if your hair goes below your collar, I'm not going to push you out of church. You know, it, it, those things doesn't mean they don't mean anything. But yet, too many places are putting their preferences way above what God's word says. There's no place for it. All right, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you today. Thank you for the message. Thank you for giving us the truths of your word, Lord. I pray that no matter where we are today, whoever may be listening to this right now, God will realize that everything is in you. That we need to forget all this crazy stuff that that we fuss and fight and argue about and cause church splits. Lord, it, it's so silly. Lord, how it must break your heart for to see us when we act that way. Lord, we act in our flesh in sinful way. Lord, keep us on the right path. Lord, I'm praying for those today that are not saved. Lord, they may may listen to this message and, and, and not quite understand what we're talking about here. Lord, we pray that you convict their heart and show them that you're their Savior too. You can bring them rest as well. Lord, help us to be able to reach them. Thank you for our church. Lord, we want to give you the praise for it all, for these things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.